0: On the screen behind me, you see a picture of a signpost. And a signpost is a sign on a post that points you in a direction or in a way. Everyone in this room is a signpost. We are pointing people in a direction. And ultimately, we are either pointing people to God and away from sin and the way of the world, or to sin and the way of the world and away from God. Every day, we are faced with this choice: Where are we going to point people? In every decision that we make, and every word that we speak, in every attitude that we display, in every deed we do, we are pointing people either towards God or away from God. And that choice is revealed in our behavior. And our behavior is a reflection of our beliefs. Let me illustrate. When I was a youth pastor, down at Voyager's Bible Church in Irvine, California, we would go to a Christian camp every summer called Hume Lake. An incredible camp where God is honored every week during the summer. And this camp was incredible because not only did it honor God, it was highly competitive. And that matters a lot to me. (laughs) And this year, they just happened to have a new race that every church was to participate in. You were to build a boat out of cardboard and duct tape alone. You could use as much as you wanted, but that is it. And your vessel had to have at least two people on it. And you could either paddle with your hands or something made out of cardboard. Now, we entered into this race full of confidence, and we said, you know what, we're going to win this race, hands down. I mean, the race went from the dock, which was about right here, to those double doors where a buoy was. You went around the buoy, and you came back. And there were four heats, and of course, each boat or vessel or craft that won its heat would advance to the finals. And we were at the dock, and we pushed out. Immediately, the two other boats in our heat sunk. We were guaranteed to win. And we went out, and we passed the buoy. And then we slightly turned to the right towards the bank, where uh, over 180 students and staff from Voyager's Bible Church stood at salute. I got on top of the boat, and I stood at salute, and we started to hum taps. Meanwhile, Casey Keller, one of my staff members who was sitting behind me, opened up our boat, lit a match, and threw it in, and our boat lit on fire. And we're still going. Suddenly, from the reeds swam our junior high pastor, and all you could see was a shark fin. And right when all the students and staff saw Cody, or they saw the shark fin, they began to go, What? Dun it, dun it, dun it. And while the boat is engulfed in flames, Cody prop- propels himself out of the water, tackles me, and the show is done. But we didn't win. They kicked us out. I didn't know in a national forest you need to get a permit for a fire before you start one. (laughs) Now, why would we behave that way? Well, you might say you're the typical youth pastor. No. (laughs) It's because the day before I gathered the whole church, I go, you know what? Nobody cares who wins. Nobody remembers who wins. But at this camp, they remember Legends. And we're going to put on a show that the people will never forget. And sure enough, they had the award ceremony. They talked about the winner for 15 seconds. Voyager's Bible Church, five minutes. We have gone down in Hume Lake lore. Now again, why did we behave that way? Because we had a belief that it is more important to be remembered than to when and every day we are faced with a choice which is reflected in our behavior or is revealed in our behavior that is reflected in our beliefs now today we're going to meet a man a prophet named Habakkuk and yes I'm pronouncing that correctly I looked it up online and online's always right okay (laughs) Habakkuk and he is faced with a decision Put his belief, his trust, his confidence in God, or reject God and go his own way. In Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 2, he asks a question of the Lord. He says, God, Lord, why are you allowing sin to flourish in the land of Judah? Now Israel has already been conquered by the Assyrians. And Judah is following the example of Israel. It is engaged in iniquity to its fullest. They are swimming in sin. And Habakkuk is there pleading with the Lord, questioning the Lord, saying, God, why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you acting? Where are you? Why are you sitting on the sidelines? Does this sound like something that might be going on today with us and the United States. We look at our country, we love our country, but we hurt for our country. And if you're anything like me, you look at what's going on, you watch the news, you go online, and you go, how can God allow this? Where is God? Why isn't he doing anything about this situation? And it's not a malicious question. Habakkuk and us, we're not asking this maliciously. It's because we hate sin. We want people to be following Jesus, not going the way of the world. Can I tell you something, though? God has done something. He has acted. Over 19 centuries ago, he sent his Son, Jesus Christ. And the Son of God took on flesh. And he lived a sinless life. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly in every way. And he died on the cross, bearing the sins of the world, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. And he died. And then on the third day, he rose again, overcoming sin and death. He is, it's only been a week, people. He is, okay, risen. Okay, let's say, with okay, whatever. Maybe it's a Northwest thing. Okay, he is alive. Jesus conquered sin and death. God has acted. The problem is not with God with us we have ignored what god has done and we have gone on merrily in bondage to sin when we could have the forgiveness and freedom of christ we have chosen sin that is how we are acting number two god is not only has he dealt with sin he continues to deal with sin Last week in this room, numerous people stood up and declared, I believe. That is God at work. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will being accomplished. And He is always at work. And we saw a glimpse of it last week. And we continue to see it each and every day. God, in the midst of a world drowning in sin, is doing incredible things. Rescuing sinners and bringing them in to the fold of God. And lastly, not only has God done something, is doing something, he will do something in the future. The Son of God, the King of glory is going to come back. And the sin issue will be dealt with once and for all. And oh, what a glorious day. That will be. What a wonderful day that will be. Now turn your Bibles. Actually forget that. God answers Habakkuk. He says, Okay, Habakkuk, you want an answer? Here it is. I'm gonna go I'm gonna send the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to conquer the people of Judah. That's what I'm going to do. And this answer perplexes Habakkuk. And he goes, God, how can you send a people more wicked than the people of Judah to chastise us? How can you do that? And from verse 12 of chapter 1 all the way to chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk pours out his heart before the Lord questioning his decision-making. And finally he says, okay, God, I'm just going to sit here, I'm going to watch, and I'm going to wait for you to answer me. And God answers. And this time he answers with a commandment. He says, Habakkuk, start writing. I'm going to give you a vision, and you are going to record this vision. And it takes place from verse 4 to 20 of chapter 2. And verses 6 through 20, there are five woes concerning the Chaldeans. And they each cover three verses. But the key verse is found in verse 4. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. One of the greatest phrases in the Word of God is found three times again in the New Testament. People are saved Not on works, but on the basis of faith in God and in God alone. And then Habakkuk is faced with a decision. In light of what I know, am I going to continue to put my faith and belief in God? Or am I going to go my own way? And this is where we pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1. Of Habakkuk. And when you find it, please stand out of respect for God's word as I read. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigonoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels he stood and measured the earth he looked and shook the nations then the eternal mountains were scattered the everlasting hills sank low his were the everlasting ways i saw the tents of kushan in affliction the curtains of the land of midian did tremble was your wrath against the rivers o lord Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fear. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses. The surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom On my high places. This is God's word. Amen and amen. Please have a seat. Habakkuk is at a crossroads. How does he determine the direction he should go? He prays. He does not go to another and consult with them. He does not ponder the situation. Those are good things. Habakkuk chooses the best thing. He goes to the Lord. He seeks Him. He calls out to Him. He looks to Him for strength and for guidance. Now if you notice again and again throughout the series, the people who are praying are helpless. They are desperate. And so often in this world, we think helplessness is evil or bad because we're not able to depend upon ourselves and we are a self-reliant people or we'd like to think that we are. But when you look at the saints of old, you see very clearly that helplessness is not a bad thing, it's a beautiful thing. Because it causes the people of God to depend on God and God alone. And that is how we live life. Life to its fullest. Not only is Habakkuk Helpless, he is also afraid. In verse 2, he shows us the great emotional toll that this knowledge he has been given has taken on him. He is literally afraid. He is scared of what is going to happen to the people of Judah and the Chaldeans. Interesting. He was angry that God was not doing anything. Now he's scared Because he thinks God is doing too much. But Habakkuk, despite his emotional baggage, despite his physical pain, as seen in verse 16, the man is crippled by what he knows. He does not make a decision based on his emotions or how he is feeling. No, in this prayer, he recounts the greatness of God and what God has done in the past to deliver his people. He recounts the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the power of God, all throughout these verses. And sadly, the church has not heeded the godly example of Habakkuk. We don't recount very often what God has done. Remembering his greatness. And number two, we don't base our choices or our decisions on the truth of God's word. We base them on how we feel. Think about it. We base our decision on feelings. If it feels right, that's what I do. We don't base our decisions on what feels right. We base our decisions on what is right. That is what our decisions are based off of. Let me give you a few examples. People attend churches. They're looking for a church home. How do they decide where they're going to go? Well, most of the time, not all the time, they look at the church and they go, how do you feel about it? Well, I feel good. I felt pretty good after the service. No concern for whether the gospel was taught. No concern for doctrine. No concern if the church is a praying church or a church concerned with discipleship or serving others. It's just, well, how do you feel? Well, I feel good. They didn't talk about sin. They didn't put up a cross. They didn't make me feel bad about any iniquity in my life or any sin going on or the decisions I'm making. It just made me feel good. Now, is there anything wrong with feeling good? After no. But why do we do that? Because we are challenged to grow in our faith and hurt the gospel? Or because we just hurt some positivity that's been all around? Isn't that crazy? So we look at spiritual training memorization of God's word, meditating on God's word, prayer as chores rather than a delight. We reflect my feeling towards physical training. Every day I wake up and I tell my wife, I'm going to work out today. And then at the end of the day, my wife goes, no, you didn't. You talk about it, but you never do it. And what is my response? Shasta, I didn't feel like it. And the church is not only spiritually immature, it's spiritually weak. Because we're not in training. And why don't we train again? Because we don't want to. And why don't we want to? Because we don't feel like it. You know what that reflects? Both of those things. It reflects a belief that our feelings are more important than the truth. That is what that reflects. Number three. When people come to church, they want it to be about them. And how did the church meet my needs? No concern for welcoming others, looking out for the needs of others, and loving others. And people girlfriend grabs it, and then this girl grabs it, and she with all her might rips it out of their hands and walks back to her seat with a smile the size of Mount Adams. Why? Because she put, no, she did not put her faith. What am I talking about? Okay. She aggressively took what she wanted. And Habakkuk aggressively took his confidence and placed it where he wanted. In God and God alone. And just like that teenage girl, Habakkuk is beside himself with joy. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. How can Habakkuk have joy in the midst of such an awful situation? Because his confidence is in God, the one who always delivers. It's an amazing transformation that takes place in this book. Here is a man who is filled with gloom, who is now filled with glory. Here is a man who questioned God, and now puts his whole trust in God. Here is a man who is miserable, and now he is rejoicing. And Habakkuk for thousands of years has pointed people to God because he put his faith in God even in the midst of the most trying circumstances. He truly has lived up to his nickname, the prophet of faith. The question for you and me is, do we? In times of trial and of pain, when God seems to be absent, do we put our belief in Him? Do we continue to trust Him no matter the circumstances, pointing people around us to Him? People are always watching. Your children, my children, are always looking at us. Those whom we serve are always watching. Those whom you teach are always watching. Those whom you work alongside, work for, and work over are always looking, especially if they know you're a Christian. And when it comes to times of pain and sorrow. They are watching you very closely. And they want to see if your belief in Jesus is real, if it's authentic, if it's genuine. Because during those times, character is revealed. And they want to see Does this person who puts their faith in God and Jesus Christ exhibit the same joy, the same passion for him that they did when times were good? People are always watching. The best gift I got for my church when I left was a scrapbook. And it was given to me by all the seniors in the high school group that I had been with for six years, junior high and high school, And it has all these wonderful pictures, and then it's got these great notes. And believe it or not, almost none of the notes talk about my sermons. I'm confused. It may be mentioned there a little, but you know what they talk about? What they saw. What they saw in me and of me. And I would laugh while I'm reading these notes, and my shasta would say, what are you laughing about? I go, I didn't even know they knew that I did that. I didn't know they were watching me. I didn't think they were watching me. And that's what they wrote about in the notes. And they knew when I was having a difficult time. And they wrote about it. They recorded what they saw. What are people seeing in our lives here at NBC? In times of difficulty and pain in times of struggle. That is when our signpost becomes enlarged. That is when our signpost becomes more visible. It's during times of trial that our signpost shines brightest. And if we are to reach Yakima County, Washington State, the United States of America, and the world with the gospel, we need to be a people who exhibit belief in God no matter our circumstances. I want to leave you with some encouragement. When I first came here, I said the thing I appreciated most about Memorial Bible Church is their faithfulness to this place despite the pain That you were experiencing. I am sure there were many Sundays you did not feel like coming here. You probably wondered how many were going to show up on this weekend. But you came. And you were faithful. And you did what was right. Even though you may have not felt like coming. I've seen it in the individuals here. Who are suffering greatly. And I look at their life, and they are one of the greatest encouragements that we have in this body. Because they continue to live and exalt the Lord in the midst of great pain. We're all going to experience pain in this life, it's going to happen. And when it happens, what direction are we going to point people to? To God or away from God? Let me pray.